Uh, what's your favorite domestic piss water? Wait, I know this. It's PBR. I like PBR a lot, but I am of two minds. It really depends on where I am. I'm regional domestic piss water type person. I really okay. like stag when I am in the South or Texas. And otherwise, if I am in the Midwest, I prefer a Miller. All right. Same. I'm a Miller High Life gal in the mm-hmm. spring and summer. And then in nice. the cold months, I like a Schlitz. Mm. But I, like I live in... You have a seasonality to it. I know. I guess we're both like a little bit different. I guess we're both not like not other girls. Not like other girls. <laughs> Other girls just kind of drink apple teenies. God, whatever. If you're not like other girls and I'm not like other girls and we're all not like other girls, Mm -hmm. aren't we all just other girls? We are other girls. (laughs) That's true. That's super true. (laughs) That's all I can think about right now. Everywhere you go, no matter who you are, you're somebody else's other girl. Thank you. Oh, it just feels really good to hear somebody say that. Oh, man. Okay. All right. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Me too. (sighs) I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About party planning. About Chicago. About writing listicles. About gender-swapped rom-coms from the early aughts. About very specific references. About not being like other girls. About the south side of Chicago. (laughs) But the white one. The white one. (laughs) The white one. About hating on hipsters. Uh, Most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, you may have already guessed, but we are discussing... Not the Girl You Marry by Andy J. Christopher. So I'm going to start this off by reading the back of the book just to orientate our listeners who perhaps haven't read this book and are all the better for it. (laughs) All right, here we go. Back of the book. Bloom, bloom, bloom. Oh, reader's guide included. Nice. How to build a successful relationship, colon, don't lie. (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and put some pressure on this first big idea lie sometimes (laughs) yeah white lies are okay like lies that are going to make them feel better and won't hurt anybody yeah seems like necessary for a successful relationship i would say this statement how to build a successful relationship don't lie is on par with love is never having to say you're sorry oh totally agree all right let's get down to it jack nolan is a gentleman (laughs) a journalist (laughs) (laughs) And unlucky in love. What, what, what? His success has pigeonholed him as the how-to guy for a buzzy internet media company instead of covering hard-hitting politics. Okay, first untruth. We can go ahead and play two truths and a lie. Okay, let's do that. Two truths. He is. These are all lies. Yeah, he's not that (laughs) successful. It's not a buzzy internet media company. It's like the old guard that now has YouTube videos. Exactly. It's called Haberdasher's Quarterly. I know, Haberdasher's (laughs) Quarterly. Can you imagine? Okay. No. (laughs) I'm like, all of it is just lies. The back of this book is a major lie. How to build successful expectations in readers and trash them. Okay. Fed up with his fluffy articles and the app-based dating scene as well. True. <laughs> he strikes up a deal with his boss to write a final piece de resistance. Right. How to lose a girl. 
Easier said than done when the girl he meets is Hannah Mayfield, and he's not sure he wants her to dump him. Hannah is an extremely successful event planner who's focused on climbing the career ladder. Her firm is one of the most prestigious in the city, and she's determined to secure her next promotion at the expense of every other woman in the office. I'm sorry, it's <laughs> adding a little commentary there. But and not editorializing. <laughs> Those are the facts. But Hannah has a bit of an image problem that is is completely her own fault. That's a bit of editorializing. <laughs> she needs to show her boss that she has range, including planning dreaded romantic weddings. Ugh, 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 romantic weddings. Everybody Enter hates Jack. Enter Jack. Into her. Get it? <laughs> yes. He's the perfect man to date for a couple of weeks to prove to her boss that she's not scared of feelings. Because oh you're... Uh, okay. Oh my God. Before Jack and Hannah know it, their fake relationship starts to feel all too real and neither of them can stand to lose the other. <sighs> Shall I read the blurbs? I'm like, is it done yet? Sexy, cynical, and city sharp, says Talia Hibbert. Talia Hibbert is very British if she thinks this is city sharp. I know! <laughs> I was like, that is such a good blurb when I read it. I was like, I that makes me want to read the book. And then I was like, this isn't city sharp. <sighs> Hannah is the romance heroine I've been waiting for, says New York Times bestselling author Rachel Hawkins. Who heard I've you, never Rachel Hawkins? <laughs> read Rachel Hawkins, so cannot do you know what guess. she do you know any of her titles? Not a single one, so I can't even guess what kinds of books that she writes. Fun, flirty, and fantastic, says USA Today bestselling author Avery Flynn. And then the big one right mm. here on the cover. Sharp, smart, and sexy. A perfectly executed role swapped how to lose a guy in 10 days. New York Times bestselling author parenthetical Christina Lauren. Ah, the dynamic duo themselves. The dynamic duo themselves. Okay, where do you want to start? <laughs> Boy, there's so many points of ingress here, Morgan, that I really want to tackle. So I kind of want to like prioritize. Do we hate women? Question mark. Why is misogyny fun? Question mark. How to ruin a beloved rom-com. Like, and how yeah. to like F up Chicago. I mean, do we want to start regionally? Do we want to start with our heroine? Do we want to start with the premise itself? Like, yeah. I'm open. So I think there's a few key pieces here from what I'm hearing you describe. Mm -hmm. I think First is our heroine. And as the book clearly illustrates, what is a heroine without a hero? So our hero. <laughs> I think we've got to talk about the setting because this is contemporaneous Chicago where you and I currently reside. Indeed. And have for at least a few years. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that this is an adaptation. So I do think we need to address that. Yes. Cool. So does that sound right to you? That sounds right to me. So let's start with our heroine. Let's start with our heroine, Hannah. Hannah. So Hannah has gone through a breakup at least a year or two prior to the events of the novel in mm -hmm. which she is described by her former lover as not the girl you marry. Right. She's too crass. She likes to swear. She likes sex a lot. Mm -hmm. And for her erstwhile ex-lover, she wasn't black enough. Our main character is biracial. So once again, I think we could do one truth and several lies. <laughs> 
She's not too crass. She likes sex, I think, uh, perfectly fine. All things men famously hate. All things men famously hate about women. Being down to earth, not into drama, swearing, and Working for professional sports teams. Right. And, like, that's it. Like, everything out of Hannah's mouth about how she feels about her other relationships was so immediately hard to swallow because it just felt like, this might be too mean, I might want to walk this back, but it sort of feels like that moment when like Anne Hathaway says something where she's like oh I had like a pimple when I was 13 oh can you imagine what I went through and I'm just Mm -hmm. like what what are you talking about that's not real yes that was actually not very mean at all I was ready (laughs) you should have seen the look on my face (laughs) ear to ear clenching this pin in my Coors Light I'm sorry I irrationally hate Anne Hathaway most of the time yeah. Like, and it's because of this shit where it's like, I like sex and boys don't like me. I'm like, you know, it kind of reeks of someone who doesn't spend a lot of time with other women and is making a lot of assumptions, which is something that I think is kind of pervasive in this book. It almost made me feel like the book doesn't like women. <laughs> And yet it says stuff like feminism, empowerment, right? Like our hero is one of those, my sister's a woman kind of feminist that I hate. And he also is like, I'm a gentleman. And it's like, well, that's a construct of the patriarchy. Right. And like you thinking that you're above the online dating scene. Like he's just like too good for everything. Just like two very unlikable people. Sometimes that works. I think it only works if like the narrative itself knows that they're flawed. And like one of the things that's really hard about this book is that the narrative doesn't know that they're flawed or like doesn't see that they're actually kind of selfish or doesn't see that the power dynamics they work in are really gross. And And the power dynamics that they are propping up all the time. Right. And so like this book is like, isn't this fun? Isn't this funny? They're really charming. And I'm like, no, they suck. Please stop talking about them like this. It was actually hard for me to read this book. Yeah. Now, that could have been because, you know, pandemic broke out. I lost my job. My cat got really sick. A lot of stuff happened in my personal life around the time that I got this book. But nothing had really hit the fan before I finished it. So I'm going to go ahead and say that stuff was less of an influence on the experience of reading the book than the book itself. Yeah, I think because it's been really hard for me to read during the pandemic at all, just like my concentration is just really taking in a nosedive. So like carving out space, I think I was probably in a less generous mood than I would have been before. But generally speaking, and like this book was always going to have a hard time, I think, with the both of us in its Chicago centrality. But its insistence on its own charmingness wasn't going to be something that you and I were going to be down for, even in the best of times. Yeah. Even if this book had been charming and was like (laughs) insisting on it. You know, I actually think our erstwhile blurber, Talia Hibbert, her book is insistently charming charming, but actually was charming enough that it carried me through. Like, I knew that it was like, look how cute we are. You know, that's like the nature of a rom-com. Yeah, I think so. You have to be pretty convinced of your own wit to mm-hmm. sit down and write a romantic comedy, I think. I and think that's so too. gonna carry through the structure of the book no matter what. But it's right. really like a question of whether or not you're right. <laughs> 
Yeah. But like there also has to be like a real kernel of authenticity or genuineness mm-hmm. that like breeds the rest of the charm because like empty charm is like this book in a nutshell. I think an Anne Hathawayism. Do you remember when she like won a Golden Globe and was like, this is like a vanilla frozen yogurt with a cherry on top or some <laughs> shit? And it was like, there are like Hathawayisms throughout this book. For example, the beginning of chapter nine, the closest to yoga that Sasha ever got was Soul Cycle. Oh my God, though. It is. It's shit like that. It is just shit like that throughout the whole book. I found Hannah really hard to swallow. Also, the fact that Hannah really doesn't like other women. She has a nemesis in her office named Giselle, who Mm -hmm. is just ruthlessly unlikable. And it's like, give that person a fucking dimension other than ruthlessly unlikable. And even her best friend, Sasha, who she lives with and goes to college with and is also someone she works with. The first time we really meet Sasha outside of the bar at work, she's like about to crumble over like a dick pic that she's gotten on Tinder from like this person that she's been out with for three dates. And we're like in Hannah's perspective. And Hannah, who knows this person, Person, ostensibly loves this person, works with this person, is fucking cruel. Yeah. Like, she's so mean. She's like, don't do this to me. This is a big meeting, Sasha. Like, pull yourself up by your big girl panties. And I'm like, you're friends with her? Yeah. And also, once again, the incident with the dick pic implies that this book has very little understanding of what it's like to be a woman. And yep. that it suggests that seeing an unsolicited dick pic on Tinder from someone that you like were talking to would send you into this much of a tailspin at work or that you would receive one at work. It just doesn't align. It's just not believable. And it's just, it feels like someone heard of unsolicited dick pics and then ran with it and created Mm -hmm. this scenario we find ourselves in and then creates like, here's how to do solicited dick pics. This like basic PowerPoint mutual masturbation scene. That's like, here's how you do it. It was very exhausting. And yeah, I think the reason I can't like Hannah is that Hannah is both insistent on her own feminism and yet completely violent towards other women. And the book itself is also so reductive. Like you said, her best friend Sasha is basically a puddle who loves weddings and exists only to be in opposition to Hannah. Giselle is just really good at her job and is a well-rounded event planner. But we are to understand her as a bitch, basically. And then she's competent. Yeah. And then even Hannah's boss is depicted as someone who gives a shit about whether or not Hannah has a boyfriend. And like that's going to determine whether or not she's going to get a promotion because apparently having a boyfriend is so important to this woman for someone who plans weddings. Yeah, it's the only way that you can successfully plan a romance, Morgan, is if you... A wedding. Is if you like boys. If you don't like boys, what business do you have picking out seating arrangements or orchids? But then the other thing is like she supposedly Hannah has a really good niche planning celebrations for professional sports teams. And uh, there were some truisms in the event planner business, like hating ice sculptures. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are the scourge of the trade. But there was also stuff like Hannah would just verbally abuse her vendors. 
throughout the book, which is no way to build a relationship. But like her hyper competitiveness, her hyper aggression just speaks to how internalized the patriarchy is in this woman that she thinks in order to be successful, you have to live as though you are a successful man, which is the complete antithesis Mm -hmm. of what we believe in. And (laughs) it's just like, how could I like someone who speaks to her work colleagues like that? Right. How could I like someone who thinks so little of a religious ceremony that means a lot to some people? She just has no perspective. She's so self-centered. It's incredible. Right. And her self-centeredness is also very much like centered in this really toxic insecurity around her womanness, like that she's mm-hmm. too into sex, that she's too into food, that she is too sexy in and of herself and like all of that is just like ugh. on top of the fucking way that she talks about her erstwhile best friend I'm just like you're just terrible and maybe this comes from the fact that this is an adaptation of an early 2000s rom-com but she really reads like the most pat late 90s early 2000s rom-com heroine where her entire worth revolves around her desirability to men based on how much like a man she is. Have you seen Mm -hmm. that Amy Schumer sketch where she's like eating a cheeseburger gross and like watching sports and drinking beers and these guys are like, God, she's so hot and she's like wearing a flannel. (laughs) They're like, oh, she's so fucking hot and she walks by and she's like, I'm gonna go drop a deuce and they're like, oh my God, she's so hot. And then at the end and they're like, do we just want to fuck each other? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, like that was the kind of idea around good womanhood was mm-hmm. that you were going to display all of these masculine traits while still maintaining like a feminine appearance in that you're still thin, even though you eat and drink like that. Right. And your desirability is determined by how much like a man you are, but also that makes you an outsider to other women. Like you have to be rejected by the status quo of womanhood and also embrace the status quo of manhood while still being hot in order to have value and worth to a romantic partner. Right, because that makes you a good time girl who's down to earth and is authentic authentic, right? So there's like a question here about like, I don't know, it's like so much like a Taylor Swift song, right? Like she wears short skirts and I wear sneakers and I'm like, why? Yeah, it's that Taylor Swift like adversarial white feminism. Yeah. I just actually had a text conversation with Rachel earlier today about second wave and third wave, which is Mm -hmm. one of my favorite topics. And just how the (laughs) third wave like started off with this great idea and got hijacked by white male patriarchy to become this thing that revolves around the stickers you buy and the fact that other women can't be mean to you, Mm -hmm. but you also can't relate to other women. It's just, I don't know. I feel like Hannah, we've talked about Hannah before in so many other different ways. Mm -hmm. And she's a distillation and it's overwhelming (laughs) to even try to approach the psychology of this heroine. Yeah, and I think she's made entirely worse by the premise itself. So like, I remembered really liking How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, but I hadn't seen it since high school. So I decided to rewatch it after reading this book because I was like, God, this book made me really hate this idea. Is this Mm -hmm. movie also trash? It is, but it's so much more enjoyable than this book. And 
it's because the gender swap doesn't work. Having the trick played on Hannah rather than the trick play on Matthew McConaughey mm. undoes all of the work. Like, all of the tropes that, what's her name, is portraying against Matthew McConaughey's character yeah. are gross and mean about feminism, but they're blown up so hard that you know it's like the most gross caricature of a woman, yeah. which is what makes it funny because it's the mirror house image of the thing that isn't real. And watching a man try desperately to handle that is actually pretty funny. But mm-hmm. having the worst because part... you're taking away the male's power to be right. like, exactly. fuck off, you know? Exactly. Which is what like, they would do anyways. In a heartbeat, right? And so like watching him try to develop empathy is actually really funny and yeah. fairly subversive, frankly. Yeah, I mean, it's the version of renaming something, retaking something, re-identifying right. something. Right. And I think you're exactly right. I hadn't thought of that, but he has to develop empathy so that he can continue to live with this idea of quote unquote bad womanhood. Right. And like he has to understand her because like he wants the job promotion, whatever. But in this version, if you gender swap it where a guy is perpetrating all the worst things that guys do to women, it's mm-hmm. not a funhouse mirror because it's played straight. Yeah. All the things that Jack does to Hannah are things that men do to women anyway all the time. And it's not funny. And it's because not women funny. don't leave them when they right. do it. And Hannah doesn't learn anything. She doesn't learn empathy. It's not antics that are funny. She's just participating in her own gaslighting, which yeah. is frankly the worst thing to read. Yeah. And having a white South Sidey dude apologize for all the shit he's doing to a woman, even being in his brain. I was like, I hate this so much. Is this what quote unquote nice guys who do this shit to women think of themselves? Like yeah. they feel bad, but they won't stop doing it. Like, Get it, girl. Get it, fuck? sis. Get it, sis. Uh, no, you are exactly fucking right. Like, that is the problem, is the gender swapping of the how to lose a guy in 10 days. There are all sorts of problems with the movie, you know, but it, yeah. it doesn't start with an inherently unfair premise. And I had that in my notes. I was like, how is this any different from a regular relationship. Turns out it's not. And that's why it's unfunny and actually kind of toxic. Yeah, it's just a regular relationship. But maybe it does the romance. Oh, no, it doesn't. Because they end up with an HEA. So she just ends up staying with the abuser. Isn't that wonderful? Let's he talk says about. Sorry. Th- let's. Yeah, let's talk about this guy, Jack. <sighs> Now he is a, I'm going to bet, we've got to go pretty far south, but I mean, it's Beverly for me. You think it's Beverly? I know the neighborhood, it's Beverly. Bridgeport's full of like young people now and is actually not the whitest in the world. And so this is Beverly. I mean, but I actually I, think it's the idea of Southside Chicago. I don't feel like the person actually had specific references. No, I think they understood that there was like a white Irish enclave on the south side of Chicago. Yeah. Peopled with bungalows and cops. Yeah. I don't think the book realizes how that actually looks. But if I were to guess, if I were to like place this somewhere in reality, it would be Beverly, which is the farthest south side neighborhood in Chicago and home of things like the Irish St. Patrick's Day neighborhood Mm -hmm. parade and uh, rainbow cones and uh, really affordable houses. Nice houses. But also in the book you gave me, Isabeau, The South Side, uh, it has a whole chapter about Beverly 
remaining white on the south side, affluent mm-hmm. and white on the south side, which I got the distinct feeling that the place that he was from is rather affluent. I mean, his dad owns his own business and is a contractor. That's why I immediately thought like the Bridgeport neighborhood when they said like a modest bungalows, like that's the kind of street I was picturing. Bridgeport Most- also isn't actually an Irish neighborhood. It had a famous Irish family living there, the Dailies, but it's not Irish historically. Okay. I don't think people know that. <laughs> like, I don't think there was the, I don't think that information was available to the book, but that's another facet of Bridgeport. Anyway, Southside white neighborhood, ostensibly he's from a working class background. There's also a lot of weird tension in Jack's immediate family. His mom left when he was 13 or so to pursue her passions and she now works at the MCA the Contemporary Art Museum here in Chicago and like he's super mad about it which doesn't jive with his Mm. quote unquote feminism and part of the reason why he suspects but certainly never asks why his parents marriage fell apart is because his mom was too fancy for his blue collar dad I'm like (laughs) that's just so much to unpack. <laughs> and it's like so weird because he carries it so hard. Like it, he's just like my fancy mom and my jet setting mom and like her art and my dad works with his hands. And I'm just like, oh my God. Oh yeah, my God. totally. And he, um, you kind of discover in the book that he's like one of the only people who has this big problem with his mom's choice to start a new life. But that relationship of Jack and his mother reminded me a lot about Bell Hook's writing on relationships and talking about how men who had domineering, abusive mothers, they would seek out the same kind of energy in a female partner so that they could constantly reject the love and affection that's offered by that partner or make it feel less than. And I did think about how men who seek out dating their mothers, like what is the appeal of that? And it is just further subjugation of your mother. Yeah, there was so much. (laughs) And this book makes that huge thing about how he suddenly realizes Hannah is exactly like his mom. And he doesn't know why he would be attracted to his mom. And it's like, oh, because you want to hurt your mom. Yeah, because you're mad at her. Let's take the path of least resistance therapy-wise. This is pretty fucking obvious. You don't like your mom. You want to punish your mom. So you're going to try to send an unsolicited dick pic to your mom to hurt her feelings. (laughs) And then you're going to feel weird and bad about it because you're doing it to, like, your mom's surrogate. And your mom's surrogate, turns out, like, has feelings of her own. God, Not unlike your actual mom. Right? (laughs) Who you've never bothered to ask about her life choices as an adult human being to, like, sort of work through some of these issues. Mm -hmm. Mom, you left when I was 13 and it messed me up. Why did you go? Yeah. (laughs) And then it, like, turns out at the very end of the book that the parents have this, like, sex arrangement. (laughs) Just like out of nowhere at bottomless mimosa brunch, mom fucking throws that bombshell onto the table and everybody has to deal with it. And it's like literally five pages before the end. And it's like, why though? Why are we doing? But that's it. Like that's the version of this book's feminism, right? Where like mom's bad choices for quote unquote leaving are suddenly exonerated. And she's still still fucks your dad. Right. And she's (laughs) chill. Right. And that like she's like a cool. She's a cool mom. Contemporary art. 
curator. Yeah. And like, look at that. But also we have this scene in MCA where he's like, I know how I'm going to get Hannah to not like me. I'm going to introduce her to my mom super early on. And so he invites her to a gallery opening for his mom. And then we find out that Hannah has also been an event planner for large gallery openings. And I just want to say that shit is handled in-house. They would not go to an event planning agency. So that was a little embarrassing. There are times when I was just embarrassed. And uh, he's like, oh my gosh, Hannah is cool and sexy because a lesbian is into her. It's just like very, it's so cringy. Also, the idea that Alinea would give someone a free dinner because Alinea wants exposure. I actually LOL'd at that. Like I literally like stopped and just like laughed out loud. You know, we talk a lot about books that talk about food Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And like snaps for ambition because trying to talk about the food at Alenia is even harder. <laughs> talking about regular food. Yeah, I mean, this author did a good job of describing, like, weirdness. But it was handled with, like, this was at the opener, too, like, where our hero and heroine meet is, like, what sounded like a pretty cool speakeasy in, like, Stupid Wicker Park, but, Oh, like, no, it was definitely the Violet Hour. Is that? Oh. I it was, was like, for fucking sure the Violet Hour. Boo. Anyway, I like the Violet Hour. The Violet Hour is great because stuff like what happens in the book would never happen at the Violet Hour because the Violet Hour has rules. But it's like the book knows kind of like has the general concept of like, oh, what's like a cool and hip thing in Chicago? Let me like Google that. And then like tried to fill in the details, except all of the details are like mean. Yeah, it's like the book is at once like giddy over the idea of the Violet Hour and Alinea Mm -hmm. and hateful of it at the same time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Like look at this, like, you know, like she was describing like the way that they make food cages at Alinea. And I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. And she's like, and then Hannah's like, I can't believe that I'm basically eating moss foam. And I'm like, you should be so fucking lucky. (laughs) Thank you. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, you're here and you feel fucking impressed. And she's like, but I don't, but I'm not that impressed because I'm still down to earth and I like pizza and food tacos. I will say when I went to Alinea, I got the idea of, I'm just going to say the idea of a pizza puff and it was so fucking delicious and it tasted like the most perfect pizza puff. Like Alinea gets it. Alinea. Alinea has a sense of humor. Alinea mm-hmm. is whimsical. Anyways. Yeah. This isn't, like, a, this isn't a podcast about that life-changing time I got to go to dinner at Alinea. And I was so gracious and excited for everything that happened to me. And then this bitch <laughs> gets a Cuffin. free dinner. Plus, she got like the cocktail pairings. Which, oh, by know. the way, adds a full like $1,000 to your two-person dinner. And they're giving it away for mm-hmm. exposure. Do you In know what Haberdasher really- quarterly. <laughs> Okay, Haberdasher Quarterly. For a video called How to Do Gastronomy Without Looking Like a Douche. If you're a chef who works in gastronomy, mm-hmm. why would you do that video? You wouldn't. Like, fuck those people. Exactly, like, they don't understand you. It's not for them. It's like no. modern art. Like, it's not for everyone. Right. You don't have to be a certain way to do it. And like, that's this book in a nutshell where it's like, oh, all these things are pretentious, but I want them and I want them inside of me, but they're pretentious. So I don't want them. And like, there's yeah, this like exactly. weird tension in the actual narrative, mm-hmm. which was profoundly uncharming. It was gross. 
Yeah, I'm like, you know what? Revel in the idea of Alinea. That sounds like fun. And it's okay to be like, this is like fancy and pretentious. And it's okay to want and be into those things. And like, it's okay. Don't yuck your own yums in the moment and then be like, I'm better than that. I'm like, bitch, you ain't better than Alinea. Yeah, exactly. But that's the thing of hipster hatred. My brother said this to me earlier today, reminded me of this idea. And it's like, all critique is a biography. Mm. And it's like, yeah, like (laughs) it says so much about you. Like it says so much about us, Isabeau, that we don't like this book. Like (laughs) it says so much about you that you are hateful of a dinner. Like you're hateful of a drink or a place. And you can make the argument that you're hateful of that idea. But why? Mm -hmm. Like what about the idea is so destructive to you? And like hipster is this way of dismissing things, I Mm -hmm. think is so tired. Like if something is cool and different and yeah maybe a little pretentious but pretentious really has more to do with your own self-esteem than yeah the actual thing itself and then like what the fuck you know you can't just like say like oh it's hipster right and like that's somehow like the shorthand for like it's thing i don't silly. like because i think it's too much or right, i think it's, it's but really it's like of a different echelon than me right i think hipster hatred is such a good alliteration because it like moves in both this dismissiveness but also like i kind of want to put it in the same space of like anti-elitism or like anti-intellectualism because it's like people hate on hipsters for being pretentious but i think there's something about really wanting to craft like the history of a cocktail into a menu or like you know pickling your own green beans or whatever like but that's the thing is like hipster has been so overused you can't even assign it to a specific idea or identity anymore right or like a specific kind of care it's also like a slow movement it's transgressive because things that often get you know labeled as hipster and dismissed are tomorrow's the pumpkin spice lot starbucks was hipster do you guys remember that i do I do too. Um, I remember when like going for a cocktail was hipster. It's regressive. It's a resentment of anyways. Speaking of regressive, mm -hmm. we have a scene uh, at the beginning of the book, which is actually, I think, a a very big character building scene Mm -hmm. that revolves around a site of great tension on this podcast. And that is pubic hair. Oh, my God, Morgan. I was... God. Thank you for reminding me of how much I dislike this book. <laughs> oh my so God. What happens is our heroine is like, I'll go on a date with this Jack guy that I met at Not the Violet Hour who's been sending me puppy gifts. But somehow online dating is beneath both of us. Okay. And she's like, what I'll do so that I don't have sex with him is I'm going to keep my bush intact. And this is a really embarrassing thing for me to reveal is that I haven't groomed my puss since my last relationship and I haven't had sex in like a year. And now the scarlet letter of that fact that I haven't had sex in a year is that I now have pubic hair. And then they end up going- A full 70s bush. A full 70s bush. You can almost hear the book gagging, the shock horror of this revelation. Not only can you do that, but then this book does the thing where it's like, Sasha's like, maybe he's into it. Like, you don't know. And she's like, nobody's into it. And I was like, oh, bitch. (laughs) 
Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so then, of course, this is where the book just really falls apart and it seems like this. So then, like, they go back to his apartment and, you know, they're going to, like, get hot and heavy. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. I haven't, you know. Oh, what does she say? She says, it's a Miss Haversham's attic down there. And then yeah. he's like, oh no, you mean like basement? Ha ha ha. And she's like, no, they're like cobwebs and stuff. Like, it, you know, it's like a thing. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I get to like have you naked. And then she's like, oh my God, what a feminist ally. I and I'm know. Like, I was oh so mad. God, I was just and like. by the way, I have heard many an account of women who are out there on the dating scene that when it is revealed that they choose not to shave their armpits or they choose not to remove their pubic hair, men are like, oh, it's not for me. Goodbye. <laughs> like, that's an actual thing that happens. Some buster who is still wearing plaid pajama pants that he got when he was 17 from his grandma for is Christmas. gonna say, I'm not gonna have sex with you because you have pubic hair. Imagine, that is the world we live in. It's hard for me to imagine that world, frankly, because gross. But those people are just outing themselves as shitheads, you know what I yeah. mean? So like, yeah. like, thank you for doing me that favor, fuckhead. Um, but in the same way that this book is like, oh my god, what a feminist ally for like not only getting my amazing Charles Dickens Miss Haversham joke, but also <laughs> for like being into eating me out. And I'm like, I, like with I was pubic just, hair with pubic hair. I was just like and not expecting anything in return. And it's like, yeah, because he <sighs> feels guilty because this whole thing is a fucking sham. I hated that part. I hated it so much. And like he goes down on her in like a second scene and like they make another joke about her like still having not shaved because like she hasn't had time because she's been so busy at work. And I'm just like, why are we even still commenting on Can this? we stop talking about it? Also, we haven't talked about his manscaping at all. Yeah, so no like, shit. She, you know, she's going to go down on you, or at least is trying to. And, you know, we haven't even fucking mentioned the state of his pubic hair. So why are yeah. we spending multiple paragraphs on hers? Which yeah. is just further proof of this anti-feminist, feminist bullshit, where it's like, oh, yeah. I'm such a feminist. I'm like, no, you, no. No, <laughs> no. absolutely not. Also, the, like, weird flashback in the middle of the sex scene where he's recalling his first sex talk and all it is is his dad telling him that women have to come first. This is another fucking problem I have and this is actually with people in real life Mm -hmm. is that folks are unwilling to confront problems of their own upbringing. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I'm special. I have this incredibly progressive, like they rewrite their own personal histories and it's like, no, like that's not what happened. That's not how your parents think. That's not how your grandparents think. That story isn't real. That's made up. People try to make themselves these special cases mm-hmm. and their families these special cases that never did anything wrong. And it's like, no, to actually like make change, to actually be progressive, you have to, first of all, admit to the fact that whatever your family was, sexist, racist, what have you. And then you have to confront them about it and you have to mm-hmm. confront the history of it. You can't just be like, well, that wasn't true for me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, fuck this. Fuck that <laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but if your whole ethos on sex is women come first, you're like missing a lot of shades there. Like yeah. you're not interesting. You're about 
20 years late Mm -hmm. or behind, whatever. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what's so frustrating about this book is that it lacks all nuance. And it's like, you know, you and I read a lot of romance. Romance isn't really like the subtlety garden of other (laughs) Subtlety garden. You know what I mean? It's like subtlety is a shovel in the toolkit of romance oftentimes. And like this book doesn't even do nuance with a shovel you know there's absolutely none there are no shades of gray the moments that our characters like view their actions at like any kind of a remove for self-reflection are brief and not lasting in their impact they sort of come as like scene cuts where it's like huh and then I discovered that I didn't hate my mom next scene and I'm just like I don't just what (laughs) yeah exactly and so like I think you talking about how he like thought he had this really progressive dad with this like sex talk where he's like girls come first there's literally nothing else in that scene about birth control there's nothing in that scene about pleasure other than girls come first but like how does one make that come about or like what would that look like like? why are we centralizing the orgasm it's because men have them more often right like like, we're able to identify that as like the finish line flag exactly and like there's absolutely no discussion here of consent or like what that would look like or like right right any of yeah that. exactly the one thing what does he say <laughs> the one thing you have to know is ladies first wow, wow what a feminist thanks dad and like the fact that this book is just like that's feminism i'm like it's not the whole book is like that hold on can i go back mm-hmm. to that scene please the dad says i found the porn on the computer and you need to know that it's all bullshit fair enough okay that's not how sex should work mostly because are you ready here's his mm-hmm. criticism of porn it's supposed to be fun for both of you and mm-hmm. to have it be fun for both of you ladies first any questions <laughs> Any question. It's like someone who has so never watched porn doing porn criticism. Porn is wall-to-wall fake or real female orgasms. It's a near constant orgasm. And it happens like immediately. It's like you touch yeah. a woman for two seconds in porn and she's screaming her head off. I'm yeah, like, ladies first is not the problem with porn. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Jesus. God. Anyway, God, this book okay. though. Sexiest part. Ugh, the food at Alinea. <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't even sound like fun food. No, it's the second sex scene and it's where he lies to her and tells her that he's waiting for marriage. And she's like, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And then he's like, there's nothing sinful in giving you pleasure. And I was like, that's a line. Like, okay. That's a um, line. That's like an actual line that someone would like, oh yeah. man, you've got a bod for sin, but there's nothing sinful and pleasuring you. I'm just like, kidding me? But you liked it. I mean, like, the idea that, like, this insane scenario, and this is, like, I did like it. I liked it kind of against my will because, like, the following sex scene of this insane scenario where he's like, oh, no, I'm waiting for marriage, and she fucking buys it. And then they go on to have a pleasurable sex scene. I was like, the fact that I can believe this sex scene at all is the testament to the talent of the corporealness of the description of this scene of Cunnilingus. Like, the fact that I could even be tingled after the 
buck wild lie I watched my heroine swallow. That's that's actually kind of incredible. Yeah. I would say the sexiest scene for me is going to be chapter 18 and that's when Jack decides to try and get Hannah to break up with him by sending her an unsolicited dick pic. Mm. But here's the thing in the context of a committed relationship I don't know. It's yeah. Pretty, like, it's pretty hard to have it be that drastically offensive. And like that's the thing it like wasn't it showed up in the morning and like this was the other thing like the scene where he sends her the dick pic and like he spent like 25 minutes agonizing over like angle and framing and lighting Mm -hmm. and I was like it reminded me of the right swipe where it's like there is really a thoughtfulness that you should bring to your own nudes yeah and like the fact that Jack Nolan our hero like spent time thinking about angle and framing I was like I bet that was a real nice dick pic this chapter handles sex in the modern age in a really well done way it talks Mm -hmm. about you know agonizing over the nudes they have a full sext exchange which is pretty hot and I actually liked the way the text exchange was like framed and presented in the book including Mm -hmm. with emojis and like pretty good jokes and stuff like that and so for me that was the sexiest part however I do want to remind everyone that this is in the context of a book that thinks online dating app dating is for the birds Mm -hmm. and yet here they are but they met IRL in the not violet hour so right right so it's different they're better than all of us they're better than all of us and I think that's the most important takeaway so we've talked about a lot of weird parts yeah can I start with a weirdest part that we didn't touch on sure I got really confused about who was a sibling and who was just a friend and who was a friend of a sibling when it came to Jack's family and his south side of Chicago Yeah. Family. There were parts where I genuinely was like utterly flustered and I read the same paragraph over and over. I was trying to figure out who the priest was related to and who died. Because mm-hmm. I was like, well, Jack's mom isn't dead, but this says she's dead. Oh, it's not Jack's mom. Is it his stepmom? It was really hard to keep all of that shit straight. What was your weirdest part? So many. Not previously touched <sighs> Not on. previously touched on. Okay, so there is a really epic showdown, just like in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, and it's at this beautiful engagement party that's mm. set to, like, a Great Gatsby theme. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and he at shows the Drake vintage, Hotel. At the Drake this Hotel. This book takes place in Chicago. Did, did you, you know? know? And he shows up in a vintage tux with his like hair slicked back and like there's a live band. And I'm like, all right. And I'm like, all right, all right. I love a big epic speech. So I'm like primed for this. And mm-hmm. then like all the strings come together at once. His political reporter aspirations come to fruition. The senator has been doing dirty deeds and all this other stuff. It comes out at the party where his boss is also there for no reason. Glad handing I don't know anyway and so like the boss gives the game away and then Hannah knows that she's been lied to and the thing that she does is she doesn't give the incredible speech about how she's hurt and wounded she just ends up throwing like a tray of drinks in his face one at a time and like he stands there and takes every like fancy ass gin and whiskey cocktail and like what a great guy to let her have her anger and like here's the moment to explain why gaslighting 
is the fucking worst. Also to explain that her real feelings are really harmed and that her mm-hmm. vulnerability and like going out on the limb, like to do the thing that I think romance is really, really good at. And that it takes this like beautiful grand opportunity and just like shits the bed with like a tray full of cocktails and like makes it, yeah. I don't know, I guess it was supposed to be funny, but like I didn't think it was funny and I didn't think it was meaningful either. So then it was just sort of like a wet balloon. A tray full of cocktails is one of those things that looks really cool in a movie or TV show or in a book. But if you were to do that in real life, it's just an it's an act of violence and it just serves to shame the other person but makes you look bad. Yeah. Because no one knows the context of why you did it. It's not like everyone's like, check her out throwing cocktails. That guy obviously did something wrong. Like no one thinks that. Everyone thinks like, look at that crazy bitch. Right. But I also like in a movie or a TV show, like have you seen the movie Moonstruck? Mm Mm-hmm. So you know when Olympia Dukakis throws her drink, she throws one and like makes an incredible exit. Mm -hmm. Our heroine threw five. (laughs) You know what I mean? One, two even, two. I think two would have been pushing it. One is like a feeling overcomes you and you react. Right. Two, sure. Like the first one wasn't good enough. He had a glib comeback. Yeah. Any more than that is patently ridiculous. It's like you really cannot use your words because you obviously have the time and thought to throw five drinks at someone, but you don't have the time and thoughtfulness to like explain to them why and like (laughs) metaphorically throw five drinks in their face. Right. So just like fucking walk away, man. Have that fucking dramatic exit. And the pleasure of a book is having space to read dialogue like that and not Mm -hmm. feel ridiculous doing it, you know? Yeah. And I agree. That kind of thing is warped. Another weird part for me is the romance novel we didn't get, which is between her ex and the congressman's daughter, the corrupt (sighs) congressman's daughter. Yeah. So much more interested in that story. Yeah. I would love to read that. Hopefully it's the next book. Yeah. If this is a series, hopefully the soft more will be the better which often happens in series like mm-hmm. you know you get your feet wet and then you really start swimming mm-hmm. so is this a romance or a nomance for oh, you oh this is a nomance if you nomance <laughs> if you want to read a book about chicago might i recommend melanie johnson's once upon a bad boy i would also say this is a nomance for me and i can't imagine that anyone's out there like i really want to read a book about chicago <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why it's the tattle in town yeah yeah. Also, who's this French bulldog on the cover? Uh, it's the authors. There's not a French bulldog in the book, though. No, they talk about it briefly where, like, he's going to get a dog, but he wants it to be a real dog. And maybe his next girlfriend will also want a dog, but she'll want, like, a frou-frou dog. And then they'll have to settle on a French bulldog because it's still a dog. You can carry it. Because everything has to be negotiated between masculine and feminine, even your dog choice. Yeah, like a corgi, would I think, would also qualify if you're doing something like that. <laughs> a Boston. <laughs> Terrier, right? A Jack Russell Terrier. Your also, what do you mean, real dog? Your masculinity can't be questioned with those choices. I mean, a real dog in the sense of like a masculine choice, right? Like a real yeah. dog is a dog that like is bigger, right? Yeah. Like a teacup poodle, a real dog does not make. Sickening. Yeah, dude. These are the weird ass gender hierarchies we assign to species not our own. This is like an incredibly regressive book, and I think you're right. I think the problem started with the gender swapping of how to lose a guy in 10 days and they just continue to snowball from there yeah all right boy it's been a while since we've had one that we disliked this much it has been it really has been (laughs) 
That's okay. You know, yeah. the, you can't like them all. And there's so many. So, like, don't waste your, you know, hard-earned dollars. Yeah. Like, that's not what we're here for, you know? Yeah. I remember when Feminist Romance put out that thing about, like, what's the best way to do a bad review? And I was like, I didn't realize that this was <laughs> <laughs> something I wasn't supposed to be doing. Yeah. I think that's one of the things about romance. It's such a genre of word of mouth. And it's such a genre of hype. So, like, a book can have a ton of hype and then people won't talk about it after it comes out and that's how you know that like it wasn't good enough to break the stratosphere or whatever or like the Mm -hmm. word of mouth around it isn't very strong and I think that's why like I remember this cover coming out I remember it having a lot of buzz but the buzz wasn't sustained in the way that like get a life Chloe Brown continues to like circulate this book really didn't and I think we know why yeah actually felt personally wounded and attacked by this book so (laughs) Uh, If people feel like I am personally attacking this book, I just want you to know I am throwing five cocktails in its face after discovering it was only fake dating me. (laughs) That's so true, dude. Uh, (laughs) That's really good. (laughs) With that. Loosen your stays. But never your principles. Mwah. Mwah. Whoa, golly gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabeau. That's me. And Morgan, that's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our webmistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzac. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast. Until next week. Mwah.